What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I'm Chris. I'm Ben. And we are here to bring you our opinions on the news, notes, and happenings from around the world of sports. Episode 176, after a one-week hiatus, we are back and, um, you know, at least not worse than ever. I don't know better than ever, but we're not worse, so that's that's a plus. Tomorrow victory. Uh, good show planned for you today. Probably a little bit shorter, but every time we say that, it goes long, so I won't jinx anybody here. Uh, we're going to start off, though, with uh, baseball. MLB season is long and uh, tedious at times, and thanks to Rob Manfred, uh, much longer than it seems like it needs to be. Uh, but there's always surprises, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Surprises to this point in the MLB season. It can be uh, records, team standings, uh, player performance, uh, anything. I personally am going to focus more on records within divisions, uh, and Ben obviously is going to do what Ben thinks is the bigger surprise. <laughs> So, where would you like to start? Uh, well, I will if if you don't mind. I, I'll take a NL kind of aspect. Okay. Um, and I really want to just talk about an entire division, not just one team. Um, and if you have it up, um, the NL West in its entirety. Um, wow. Yeah, I'm looking many, at it right now. <laughs> right. Many put the Dodgers, obviously, number one. And we know where San Diego is trying to sit. Um, they're trying to be at the top. And I don't think it's a surprise that San Francisco is, even though they lost some pitchers, they're kind of reproducing what they did last year. Um, between the three of them, it's it's one game uh, between the three of them. Percentage points is why Dodgers are first and, and Padres are second. But more interestingly, Colorado, what they did, basically swapping – Chris Bryant for uh, or actually reverse that Nolan, replacing Nolan Adorado for Chris Bryant um, and then the Diamondbacks I mean it's four and a half games but it's only four and a half games there that they're behind and they're a 500 team at the moment and I think that's interesting because we're what's that about 30 something games into the season yeah about mid 30s yeah yeah so it's still early but it's interesting that that we have this tight race because if you look at the central, the Cincinnati Reds are pretty much buried. Uh, they haven't even hit double, double digit wins yet. Dude, their team ERA is pushing seven. And that's, it's a feat onto itself. That is uh, by more than a run, the worst in baseball. And you got a bunch of teams with 12, 13, 14 wins. Uh, it, it just speaks to volumes of, how they're how the, the Rockies are performing and also how they're performing at home. Now obviously on the road they're a little a little lackluster. Um but at home they're 12 and 7. They're they're holding their home at home and that's really kind of keeping them uh, afloat a little bit. So I look at this whole division and just say all the money the Dodgers have spent, all the talent the San Diego Padres have acquired. And you have the Giants, the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Still fighting, still right and, there, and, right? Yep. And 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 we've spoken, and and many people have spoken about how Colorado is difficult for pitchers, and they've locked up all their pitch starting pitchers for many many years because they're committed to not only the team but performing at that in that elevation. Uh, it it speaks volume to what they're trying to they're trying to get what what kind of organization they're trying to build, and they got crapped on a lot for. Basically, ditching Trevor Story, 
um, to free agency, uh, trading Nolan Arenado. Um, I'm missing someone that they traded last year. It, it, it's escaping me right now, but um, it, it's just kind of a, a turnover in their their roster the past couple of years. Um, and then just saying, hey, Chris Bryant, why don't you come over here? Why don't you smack a few balls and, and see what you can do when the the high elevation of uh, Coors Field. And I'm interested to see how this division turns out because you would think the Dodgers – I'm sure we both picked the Dodgers to win this division. Yeah, yeah. And I know the Padres are going to keep performing. They have Manny. They have Tatis. The list goes on. And the Giants are just going to keep fighting. Uh, no matter what they what they have on their roster, they're just going to keep, keep fighting. So I'd be interested to see what the Diamondbacks and the Rockies do. Uh, it'll really kind of – really kind of dictate and, and we're far away from this, but the trade deadline into the future, um, whether or not you'll have five teams in a division vying for wild card spot or playoff spots. And I mean, others, other races intrigued me, but that just like, we're like a, I don't want to say a quarter away, but we might be a quarter away um, or we're getting there and you have an entire division really, kind of just scrapping, fighting their way through the, the first part of the season. And, and, you know, maybe maybe it comes out where the Dodgers pull ahead or the Padres pull ahead. But I, I got to think the way they're performing now, you know, it, it's, it seems to me that this might be a fight to the end of the uh, season, even into September. Just, just one one person's opinion, though. Yeah, no, man. And, and looking at this, and you're right, it's close to the quarter point. Uh, Forty and a half games would be, and obviously you can't play half a game, but um, you know, unless you're a pitcher these days. Uh, but yeah, forty and a half will be the actual quarter points. We're 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 fast approaching that, and and like you said, it's not it's not only a five or ten game sample. Now it's damn near a quarter of the season, so it, it's fair enough to make some of these. Uh, judgments and obviously there's been great comebacks in the past and you've seen teams that are way down in the standings at the all-star break come storming back and have historic runs and end up in the wild card or winning the division uh I, I still think when all is said and done the dodgers and, and and uh padres are gonna be the two teams fighting for this but don't count out san fran i mean they're only a game behind these two and i mean yeah they lost buster posey he retired but the pitching's still there. They still have everybody else. I mean, everybody, obviously, you add and subtract people every season, but everybody of significance. I don't think they really lost anybody besides Posey to retirement. I think they lost uh, Gosman. Yeah, they, they um, lost Gosman to free agency. Okay. Okay. But, but I mean, they still, they had to miss a beat, though. I mean, they're still going strong. Right. And they, they seem to, uh, as somebody who's more of an American League fan, admittedly, I, I'm not as up to uh, up to uh, speed with all the National League teams. But the Giants seem to always have somebody coming from their farm system who is productive. They seem to do a great job of scouting and drafting and signing, you know, uh, you know, international free agents and things of that nature. So they could be there. I would think the Diamondbacks and Rockies would fall off a bit, but maybe not. And while I don't think they'll be hanging there with the Dodgers and, and uh, I, say, I want to say Chargers, with the Dodgers and Padres, 
I mean, there's multiple wild card spots now. Maybe one of these teams is going to be chasing a wild card spot. I mean, they're a game and a game and a half back, respectively, in the wild card race right now. And yeah, it's a quarter of the way through the season, but that's not nothing. And, you know, these teams go on a hot streak and win, you know, eight, 10 in a row. You never know. It's right. possible. So it's right. very intriguing. And to have a division, even a quarter of the way through the season, that everybody is 500 or better, it doesn't happen very often. I'm looking at every other division here. And there's nothing even close to that anywhere else. So it's going to be fun to watch down the stretch. You could have three teams from that division make the playoffs easily. Uh, for me, uh, I got to be a homer here. My disappointment is the Red Sox. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, this team that for so long had guys like, uh, you know, Johnny Damon, uh, who, you know, didn't end up so didn't end up uh looking so hot after these Yankee days. But I mean, when he was with the Red Sox, he was Mr. Beard, he was Mr. Personality, or or and and you know, he had guys like David Ortiz and Jason Veritek who were the heart and soul of the team. And uh, obviously offensively, Ortiz was, you know, far more valuable than Veritek, but what he brought to the pitching staff and helping the pitchers was invaluable. And you've had guys all through the years, Pedroyas. And uh, even guys like Johnny Gomes, who's only here for a few years, but guys who added real personality, heart and soul to the team. I, I don't see anybody like that right now on this team. I don't. I mean, there's stars, certainly. J.D. Martinez is a fantastic hitter. He, he's doing fine. You know, you have you have Devers, who is fantastic, but everybody who knows him says he's a little bit quirky and not in like the Pedro Martinez way that's fun, kind of like the almost like um, likes to be left alone kind of quirky, which is uh, another problem baseball has universally, not being able to market and get their stars out there. And then Xander Bogarts apparently doesn't even want to be here anymore past this year because he apparently wants mega money and they weren't willing to just give it to him. So uh, not to mention, we can't get a starter to go past five innings. Chris Sale's shoulder is apparently still not up to par. He had a setback, although it was said that not be major. I don't buy it. Whenever you're dealing with somebody with those kind of injury uh, issues in history, anything that's a setback is major. Nobody's stepping up. Nobody. I mean, Verdugo was a, a top 30, top 35 player last year. He's disappeared. Story just had his first home run 40 games in. I mean, we weren't expecting him to hit 50. We are expecting more than, you know, an average of five. It's this entire team from top to bottom has been disappointing. And I love the Sox, and I hope they turn it around. But there is nothing that I have seen on the, from this team that indicates to me that this is going to be anything other than a lost season. And it's a shame, but that's how I feel. Uh, and I've been looking at the team – the past, I would say, week to 10 days. And it, it's literally three people producing at the plate. And, and it's three the three guys you already mentioned. It's J.D., Xander, and Endeavors. That's it. That's the problem, is that if they go cold in a game, there's no production. Sure, you have a performance here or there, but consistency is what you're looking for. You're not getting that. And also what you're not getting is is – a table setter. As far as I can tell, 
uh, it's a rotating class at the top of the order as far as the, the number one hitter. Uh, it's Kike Hernandez. I think I've seen Verdugo there. Maybe Trevor Stories slotted in there once or twice. Uh, but, you know, it's just no consistency there. And first base has become to the point where they brought up uh, Frankie Cordero, and I think he's a converted outfielder for first base. Bobby Dahlbach, as, you know, we pointed out in preseason, like, he had a good season, but there was concern going into this season. Yep. And what's he hitting right now? He's hitting 165. Like, And, and I think Apexed at the point a few days ago, I saw uh, a video of him fielding a double play at first base. Clean transition at short uh, second base from, from – um, it was actually Xander to – Devers because there was a shift going on and Devers threw a pretty decent throw to first and he just missed it. So the production's not there. And and sometimes production not at the plate is going to affect the person in the field. And it could just, it, it could be Bobby Dawbox in his head, you know, same with Trevor story could be getting in his head. I know it's a big transition for him going from Colorado to Boston and maybe it wasn't what he wanted or maybe it was what he wanted. All I know is uh, the Sox could have solved a bunch of things by either giving Xander his contract or dealing him away and then giving Rafael Devers his contract. Yep. That could have solved a lot. I can understand hesitation with Xander, but I really don't understand the hesitation with Devers. And realistically, after that point, you want to bring in Trevor Story to play shortstop. You can play shortstop. You can be your all-star shortstop if you have dealt away Xander Bogarts. I don't think you should, but if that's what you guys, if that the front office wants to do, go ahead. But at this point, you're just, it, it's literally three guys and everyone else is hovering around the Mendoza line. And that's, that's not going to produce. It's just not. And especially with the pitching concerns you have pointed out, Chris, that's not going to help. Chris Sale, I liked his stuff when he was in Chicago. He's pitched maybe one full season in Boston. That's not, that's not ace production. I great, I got, I, it's great he wants to be out there but you're still not pitching. I'm sorry. So I, 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 this team looks like, and, and, and we've seen this over the past, I don't know, decade. It seems like it's even either boom or bust with the Red Sox. Either going to win be in first place or they're bottom the barrel. And honestly, this looks like a team that might transform into a bottom of the barrel. Yeah, and I mean, add to, I mean they brought in Jake Diekman, who was supposed to be a setup guy and even compete for the closer role, and I mean he's been okay, but they still they still apparently think Matt Barnes is the guy there. His ERA is is past seven. I mean it's it they've been looking better the past week or so, but it's just it's not. It's a team that doesn't seem like they have a real direction. They had a bunch of stars, and now it's time to either sign those guys or trade those guys, and they seem to uh, not 
not be willing to make a decision on anything. And that's a problem. And you got to get rid of some of this dead weight in the bullpen. There's some there's some good side there's some good things in the bullpen too. As I said Deekman's been fine. I mean he had a little bit of shaky start, but he's been okay. Uh Robles has looked good. Uh who's this uh Stram kid, he's looked okay. But I mean, you have a guy at the back end you can't trust. I know they say he's not he's not the definitive closer, it's by committee, whatever, but it's still like this team has won four World Series since 2004. And they've had many other competitive seasons. They know what it takes. It's been the same ownership group, and we have our issues with the ownership group, that's for sure. But they know what it takes. And, you know, I like the Trevor Story signing. I have no problem with that. I think he's going to pick it up. He's going to have a fine season. I really believe that. But, you know, you sign him. Okay. Devers' contract should have been next. And like you said, followed by, hey, we're trading Bogarts. Look, we can't afford two $300 million contracts. It's not happening. It's probably what it's going to take to keep Devers long-term for the next 10 years. E- easily 300 And you can't do two. Especially with Bogarts being more advanced in agent than Devers is. So, they can't seem to make up their mind what direction they want to go in, and it's hurting the team, and it shows on the field because there's no consistency, and they continue to pay the wrong people uh, and not know when to, you know, just not when to sign and trade at the appropriate times. It's, it's. I hope some of these kids from the farm system do good and can infuse some life into this, this organization because right now there's just not a lot of personality. And that's not the Red Sox. All right. Any other any other uh, surprises you want to get on to uh, a positive thing? No, let's shift to the positive. All right. Positive. Uh, I, Dude, I, I love Shohei Otani. I, I didn't know anything about him before he came to the States. And when he said he was going to be a pitcher, hitter, he's going to be the dual threat, we both – Shook our head because we've seen that attempted before and it never usually ends well. This guy is breaking the mold completely. And he is so damn impressive. He is so fun to watch. I'm not a fan of the Angels. I could care less whether they win or lose. I want to watch this guy. Whether he's behind the, uh, excuse me, on the mound or at the plate. He's, if you're a baseball fan, he's must-see television. He is so entertaining. He's so good. Just at his 100th home run. I think he actually hit 101 today. Uh, and he's only the third Japanese player to ever do that. Fun fact. Do you know the other two? Uh, Ichiro okay. and Hideki Matsui. Very good. Hideki Matsui had 175 and Ichiro had 117. Uh, but even more impressive, and I have compared him to this player in the past, and it, it, it comes up again. He is only the second player ever to hit 100 home runs and have 250 strikeouts as a pitcher. Who was the first? Well, it's probably Babe Ruth. It's Babe Ruth, of course. And people called me crazy last year when I said Hideki Matsui. I got my thinking of Japanese pitchers now, players now. Players. Matsui was not a pitcher. Holy cow. Everyone's going to be all over me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back on straight here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's people got all over me when I compared him to Babe Ruth, but again, it was just the concept of somebody who can dominate 
at the plate and on a mound. Not necessarily, obviously, didn't have the body of work to this point of Babe Ruth. And he won the MVP last year. And I, I remember when we did our, our, our two early predictions, I said it was going to be Vladdy Jr. winning this year because there's just no way as good as Shohei Otani was that he was not going to regress. And it was it, just no way you could repeat it. And I'll be damned, the guy's repeating it. Maybe even better than he's on, on pace to do better than he did last year. And that is tough to do when you did what he did last year. He is amazing, amazing hitter. And he's no, he's certainly no slouch on the mound. Uh, he's, he's still a top pitcher. And this is just watching this guy go out there and do it. It, it makes you wonder how many years he can keep this up and where he's going to stand in history when it's done. Because this is the kind of player that changes the game. And I hope we get to watch him do this for many years to come because I got nothing negative to say about this kid. He's amazing. And uh, I'm going to stop gushing over him now and let Ben, let Ben bring him back down to earth. But um, if you get a chance to watch him play and you're a baseball fan, you'll look to yourself to do so. I appreciate everything he does. I think it's great that he does pitching and hitting. Uh, if you can do that, if you can come out to the majors and do that, by all means, go ahead. I will say he did miss time last year, and I believe the year before with injury. Yeah, Tommy John was two years. Yeah, that was the year of Tommy John two years ago, I think. Yeah. So, but he still hit. I understand that. I, I'm not. I'm not. Oh, no, discount, no. I'm, I'm not, not knocking you. That. I'm just saying that's even, it even adds to his mystique more. He was still hitting even when he was out with Tommy John as a pitcher. He was out with uh, injured with Tommy John, and he was still hitting. That's amazing. I will say, however, it does affect the pitching staff because you plan for a starting pitcher to be in a certain place. I'm just saying, I can appreciate your your position on it. I like I like Chaz uh, Jazz Chisenhall. Um, he's second baseman for the Marlins. I like his energy. I like how what he brings to the, the game. Uh, he's electric. He's got attitude. That's the kind of guy where I'm at work on break and I'm I'm rolling through my my Twitter Twitter feed and I'm like, let me look up and see what he did last night. I'm not doing that for Shohei. It's nothing personal against him. If you like what he you like what Shohei does on the field and the mystique behind pitching and then hitting and that's that's fantastic and and there's very very few players that actually have done that with great success in the majors. The more appeal to me is is someone like Jazz who just he goes out there he puts his heart on the on the field and and he puts his the attitude and and something that appeals to me and brings me to want to see what he's going to do next and that's for me that's appointment television what he's going to do next is get traded because the marlins aren't going to re-sign him when he's a star in three years that's what's going to happen next it's a fair statement chris (laughs) that's not a knock on him at all that's just the organization that's the organization um but when i think appointment for pitching i think one guy pedro martinez that's the guy i think of Oh, yeah, just, I wish I could too, but he doesn't play anymore. I know. I'm just saying that's like my standards. Like, I want to see what Pedro does. I want to. I want to be there for every pitch. I want to see what kind of 
exuberant attitude he's going to bring out. And, and, and that's what I'm looking for with, with the new generation of, of baseball players. And I think Shohei's kind of sort of like Mike, Mike Trout, not to that degree, but he's sort of like Mike Trout with that calm collective, you know, go out there, do my thing. Shohei's got a little attitude, like a little, but not much. So. But that's, uh, I, I think that's a culture thing though, honestly. Oh, it is. It yeah. is. They're, they're more, they're more, Much more reserved. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's just the way I see it. That's, you know, he's, he's good. Uh, I, I have no questions that he should have won the MVP last year. And, but he just doesn't, he doesn't have that draw that, that pulls me to a, a screen. And I think, you gotta, I think now we're in 2020, uh, 20, I'm sorry, 2022 is like pull you to, the screen is applying to some sort of social media or watching the game itself. And I think players like jazz, Fernando Tatis, um, Francisco Lindor, those are the kind of players that just, those are attention grabbing. Those are guys that just do insane plays that just blow your mind. But in the grand scheme of things, if you look at it from a, a 2000 foot view, what Shohei is doing on the mound and at the plate, that is, that is something to behold on its, itself. I certainly enjoy the, all the good young players, uh, the Chisholm and, and uh, Tatis Juniors and uh, absolutely no knock on any of them. And they're going to be just as exciting and fun to watch, uh, providing baseball can learn how to actually market the positive points of their game. Uh, along with guys, Vladdy Jr., he's going to be a stud for the next 10, 15 years, easy. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, there's, there's, for the first time in a long time, there's a rather long list of players who are, are pretty exciting to watch. And as just as a fan of baseball history, uh, I think I mentioned this before, to the point where when I was in school, I was told by teachers I could no longer write about baseball. I had to pick something different which I still want to file a complaint about because I think you that's should. wrong. Uh, I mean, it's it's just, to me, it's just so intriguing to have a guy at Otani's level doing what he's doing. And again, you never know how long it's going to last, which is why I appreciate it every time I get the chance to watch him play. But yeah, the the guy, you know, the guys you mentioned, obviously, huge part of the game. And uh, this group that we have coming up now really reminds me of like how spoiled we were in, in the late nineties. We had guys like Griffey Jr. playing at the level he played at, one of the best of all time. You know, Mark McGuire, who yeah, I know PEDs, whatever. PED Schmeedies. I'm I'm done with that conversation. I'm tired of hearing it. You can get as jacked as you want on PEDs, you still can't hit a hundred mile an hour fastball. It's just facts. Deal with it. <clears throat> McGuire who could hit fifty, sixty home runs. And still hit, you know, he wasn't a four hundred hitter, but he could hit 260, 275. Nowadays, a guy hits 50 home runs. You're lucky if he hits a buck 40. Joey Gallo's a hero because he hits 40 home runs. Dude also hits 120 a year. I mean, it's just, it's like the bar is like, if you get five innings out of a starting pitcher, that's impressive now. You watch Pedro go seven, eight, nine innings every time. Guys like Roy Halladay, Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, all the greats from the late 90s. Clemens, Maddox, and Maddox for way before, way before even the early nineties with Maddox. 
I mean, you don't see the pitching side of it anymore, but to now see somebody who can also hit and then just, you know, take the mound and also pitch is just, it's, it's just old school. It's just, it's like my one little, uh, my one little bastion of like former like baseball glory. Like I just, I, it, it reminds me of like watching old school baseball when like I was growing up and videos of past games and past greats. And it's no knock on anybody you mentioned, but I don't, I get the exciting young player, but I just, I don't get the nostalgia when I watch those guys. I get, I got us nostalgia when I watch Otani and it's, it's, I'm just going to enjoy it while it lasts because there's no way it can last all that long. The game is too complicated and too much can go wrong, but I'm going to stay positive and enjoy it while it lasts. All right. On to some NFL news. Uh, after, I guess, thinking he was going to get a 20 plus million dollar a year contract. Uh, Jarvis Landry, wide receiver, has uh, agreed to sign a one-year deal with the New Orleans Saints uh, for up to $6 million. Uh, I I don't say that as a knock. I think Jarvis Landry is a hell of a receiver. Personally, I, I'd place guys like him and Robert Woods among the most underrated receivers in the game easily, year after year. Talent-wise, consistency. And, uh, yeah, I didn't. Didn't do great in Cleveland, had some injuries, but I mean, look at the situation he was in. Wasn't exactly awesome. Everybody thought when he and Beckham got to Cleveland and Baker and you know, the running backs, you know, Chubb and Hunt, it was gonna be playoffs every year, looking great. And now <laughs> now both Beckham and, and Landry are gone. Uh I don't I don't think Baker wants to be caught dead in the city of Cleveland. And now they have a quarterback who, well, has some issues, let's say that. So that's a whole different situation. But, you know, on its own, it's like, oh, the Saints got a really, really, really good receiver that still definitely has some tread on the tires at a really good price for one year. And then you add to that the fact they just spent the first round pick to draft Chris Olav out of Ohio State. It just makes you wonder how much longer Michael Thomas has in New Orleans. And I know you're going to say that's crazy. That's crazy. They wouldn't move him. They wouldn't trade him. But they're kind of stacked at receiver now. As long as Olav actually, you know, pans out. They have him. They have Landry, who can be the veteran, who can kind of guide him a little bit. They have Kamara. They're going to go with Jameis at QB. And that defense is, you know, okay. Pretty good. I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints are going to be fielding calls for Michael Thomas. That's a big contract. And this is a team that's going to have to continue to rebuild. And they've already had some friction in the past. What do you think the chances are Michael Thomas is wearing a different uniform either when next year starts or at some point next season? I think he starts the season because I think they have the financial wherewithal to uh, put him on the field. However, I do feel like there's a chance if he shows that he's healthy, uh, either before the start of the season or by the end of the first month, he could be traded to a playoff sort of contender or wide receiver needy team. And I say that because Chris Olave is very talented coming out of Ohio State. Jarvis Landry, Marquez Callaway, Traquan Smith. Like these are all nice pieces. Adam Trapman at tight end. I think he was a second round pick, I believe, the last year. 
And obviously the rumors are Taysom Hill is going to be more tight end, running back, wide receiver, not so much quarterback. And you pointed out Alvin Kamara is there. I think they have a lot going on to really just open up the offense. And I don't know if that caters to Michael Thomas's talents because he's more of a volume receiver where he needs touches. He needs to get the ball to be effective. That's just my opinion. Jarvis Landry, I, I remember Jarvis Landry going weeks and weeks and weeks without touches or many, many touches. Yet, before you know it, you, you sleep on him, he hits you. Oh, yeah. He hits you for six and uh, six and 99 with a touchdown or, or seven and 120 and two touchdowns. It's just the way Jarvis is. He could, he could, he affects the game without needing the ball in his hands. And that's something he can instill on Chris Olave and the rest of the wide receiver core. I just think Michael Thomas's talent has, you know, he's proven that he has a, what the single season receptions, I believe, record. Um, I just don't know if he's got that in him to be that sort of wide receiver where he's going to be okay with the multiple talents on the field that are going to get the touches because it used it at one point it was just him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame him because that's what he's used to. I just think it might be better for them if he's healthy to send him away for draft pick compensation or another player that might help their defense. That's just my opinion. I'm going to lean more towards he's going to be elsewhere. Um, at the latest, the end of the first month. Yeah, I really think so, too. If he comes out and he proves he can be healthy and he can still be effective, he's not going to end up... I think the days of him being the 12 to 14 catch per game guy are done with, at least in New Orleans. And, yeah, he's... I don't blame him for wanting the ball, obviously. The star receiver, he wants to help his team. He wants the notoriety. He wants right. to, to prove his dominance. He, that's you know that's what all the that's what athletic competition is all about. But I think what's best for the team, and the team is realizing this, it's not just depending on one person. Because when he went down the last couple of seasons and he couldn't perform, that team suffered immensely at wide receiver. So what do you do? Well, you bring in a good a good player, like you said, a sneaky good player like Landry. You draft a guy like Chris Olave who you know, is projected to be a star. Obviously, we'll see how that pans out. You never know. But you bring in other people and you say, okay, well, this is the old way of doing things. It's not how we're going to do it anymore. And we're going to have to move on from him. I do agree. It'd be best for them to put him on the field because you're going to get a lot more for him compensation-wise if they can prove he's healthy and can still perform and play. And there should be no reason he can't. I mean, he he's still definitely young enough to be an upper echelon receiver. And he was never really a speed guy. So, I mean, injuries aren't going to affect him in a sense of he can't play or still be a an asset to a team. So I, I think think they move him. No idea what they get for him. That'll remain to be seen. But I really think and a, a team that is going to need financial capital going forward, he's definitely going to be out the door sooner than later. All right, last topic. It's actually turning out to be a shorter episode than normal for once. We didn't actually carry on for an hour and a half. There you go. Uh, Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy was arrested, I believe it was this past weekend, 
it, it was I never actually never seen the the language he was arrested for. Uh, it was second degree criminal tampering with a domestic violence enhancer, which uh, was because of his relationship with the accuser. Uh, and the criminal tampering was he was uh, tampering with another person's property with intent to cause injury, inconvenience, or annoyance. There was no violence, and even the authorities who uh, arrested him said that they uh, there was no immediate threat of violence. So it's, it's kind of weird how they threw a domestic violence tag on it, because that makes it sound like something it's not. But I think this is a situation where it would do everybody a lot of good to get all the facts before they start painting this guy with, you know, some pretty ugly labels. Because you add domestic violence to it, and understandably so. That's certainly nothing you want to take lightly. But you hear that label, and it's, oh man, this guy hit his wife or his girlfriend or something like that. And it was a really ugly scene. And when they add domestic violence to the label, and then they say straight up that there was no threat of violence. And he did not, you know, he wasn't like fighting with the cops or like resisting arrest or anything. It really paints this guy in a light that makes it look like he did something he may not have done. So I would just urge people to get all the facts and not just start putting labels on this dude. And it may turn out that he deserves a negative label, that something bad happened, that he did have other intentions. I don't know. I'm just saying, let's not just assume guilt because the media went out there and just threw a tag on it. That that's not really fair. So this is how I see it. Um, I can understand because it says here um, there was laws passed in Colorado because in the past police have downplayed situations like this and they potentially grew into something more. Not to say Jerry Judy would, but there's the reason why this law is in place is because of these situations growing into other uh, further bigger issues because the police have just downplayed it. Oh, so, a situation escalating, you mean? Yeah, okay. I yeah, like yeah. maybe not in that instant, but like down the road. Right, it, right. It had potential. So I can understand why the police did what they did to be extra precautious. However, it is incumbent upon news media's and pundits and even people on social media to a look at all the facts of the situation and b know that the girlfriend ex-girlfriend whatever she is made statements saying he did not do anything violent or portray in any any violence in any way shape or form to know that information before painting him with yeah. the broad brush of this is you know because a lot there was there was memes going around uh, that you know the U.S. Uh, police uh, prison system has more uh, Pro Bowl wide receivers than the uh, Chicago Bears. <laughs> funny, it's, I, mean, I will it's agree. Kind of, it's yeah. funny. <laughs> oh um, man! But I, I think oh. when we when we look at this situation, this situation is just going to come into. He locked it. He locked his kids' stuff in his car. She wanted to get it. He didn't want to open it. Whatever the reason is, he was pissed off at her. Uh, they had a disagreement. Maybe they're not having a good breakup. What have you? So this is what happened. 
okay. I don't think he should have had to spend a night in jail, but the situation played out that way that he had to. And so hopefully this, you know, Hey, because apparently she lives in Virginia. So he either, I don't know if he lives in Virginia and during the season he's in Colorado or what have you. Um, but hopefully they can kind of just, okay, peacefully have responsibility for the kid and go on with their lives. He can be the pro, uh, can become a pro bowl receiver and she can go on with her life getting whatever she needs from him. Unless, of course, they can rectify the situation and live happily ever after, which would be the best for both. But this this has turned into, you know, a, as we like to say, um, we want all the facts before we yeah. jump to any sort of conclusion. I think this is one of those situations where we need to have those facts before we just assume that, oh, domestic violence, he did something to hurt her. Uh, I think we've learned that in the past three to four years that, that we do need to take that pause. We can get the facts, but we need to take that pause and analyze and, and see what other information is coming out. And if something doesn't look right, if something seems out of character by uh, you know from a, a person, maybe we should take a step back and say, hey, let's let's see what else comes out. And then before you know it, the girlfriend makes a statement that says, hey, nothing happened. Okay, now we start. Now we start having the answers. Yes, yeah, because yeah, I'm all look. Anybody who actually is a, a an abuser, or actually is guilty of domestic violence, I'm all for dragging them over the coals ten times over, without a doubt, no problem. <laughs> you know, no argument from me. But I think in this case, man, it's just a little irresponsible. Uh, you know, and if if today's actually the charge based on the law, first of all, it, it should be looked at again. And I do understand. The situations aren't always taken that seriously at first, and that's a problem in and of itself. Uh, but, you know, to, to, I didn't hear from any other news outlet the details of it, just the charge, right. which is irresponsible because that makes it look like he was going after his wife or his, his girlfriend or his kid's mother, whether they're together or not, I don't know. Uh, and in all reality, like you said, it was a misunderstanding. There was no violent action. She did not press charges. She asked them to not arrest him. She just wanted to make sure they were aware that there was a, a, uh, a disagreement. And she did not want to press char- anything. And it's just like to have something that had domestic violence in it because that's the, what the law says you have to do. And then not explain that there was actually no violence or threat of violence is really irresponsible by the sports media, media in general, who, who, who covered this to begin with because... Until I read the article on NFL.com, I had no idea what to expect. Right. And it's it's really a shame that we're at that point, especially with the way everybody has these knee-jerk reactions to everything they read. Without You just read a headline, and you've already made a decision. Details don't matter. And that's ridiculous. And we got to get away from that. Got to get facts, and then make an intelligent, intelligent decision. But <laughs> what do I know? I just try to use common sense. All right. Uh, anything else? You're good. Well said. All right. Thank you very much for listening. That is going to do it for episode 176. If you have any questions or Ben or I on this episode, past episodes, or anything sports-related at all, we'd love to hear from you. And where can they get in touch with us? You can hit us up on Twitter. It's at BCTSPod. Facebook, Ben and Chris Talk Sports. The website, BCTSPod.com. And on Instagram, Ben underscore Chris Talk Sports. 
And if you have not done so yet and you feel so inclined, please go to wherever you download your favorite podcast, leave a rating and a review, and ask a friend to do the same. We'd really appreciate the support. For Ben, I am Chris. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you right back here next Sunday. Thank you.